Praise God. Praise God. Uh, I had to lift my crutches in the air and worship. Just grateful for our God and his goodness. Uh, for those of you who uh, care to know, I am recovering beautifully from surgery. I met with a surgeon on Thursday. I also know there's some guests. Maybe you're tuning in for the first time online. You got no clue what I'm talking about and why I'm sitting down. But uh, three weeks ago, three and a half weeks ago, I had surgery to reattach my hamstring to my hip bone and uh, had a meeting with a surgeon the next day. And then I met with him for the first time in three weeks on Thursday. He said, everything is healing beautifully, tested out the hamstring and it's got strength in it. So it's coming back. And uh, I got released from my bionic brace. So praise God for that. And, uh, and I'm on the road to recovery. I've got a plan now to get me there, and I'm getting excited about it. And the hardest part now is just slowing down and making sure I actually listen to what the doctor says. But uh, don't amen that, Virginia. Look, if you're watching online, don't ever bring your wife with you because she'll amen you when she's not supposed to. I'm, I'm so excited, though, for what God is doing. I'm, I'm excited for how he's shown me his power and his strength. But what I'm most excited about is this sermon series that we are about to launch into. There was no way I wasn't gonna be here on this chair in front of you, find some way to be here to present the word of God this morning because I am so excited about this sermon series, The Spirit of Christmas. And, and I'm, I know if you know me, like you think, okay, it's because it's Christmas and Jason gets all weird around Christmas, which is true. I do get weird around Christmas, uh, weirder than normal, uh, which is saying a lot. And, and I, I, I love Christmas season, which by the way, okay, I got another weirdo over there. I heard it. Uh, I have had a, many of you ask, in all seriousness, Jason, we're really concerned. Were you able to get your Christmas lights up this year? And by God's grace, yes, uh, you can drive on by. If you don't know where I live, just go toward the lake and look for the lights and you'll find it and we'll be over there. Uh, God has blessed me immensely with uh, some children who are working really hard and four men from the church who have sought it as their ministry to come help me wrap Christmas lights. Uh, and so praise God, they're up. Uh, and so that, that was actually a huge blessing from God to see uh, that kind of love from brothers in Christ. And uh, so grateful for that. But that's not the reason I'm excited about the sermon series. I'm not excited just because it's about Christmas. I'm excited because I actually believe. And, and I hope you realize what I'm about to say is not a hyperbole. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not blowing like preacher smoke here. I genuinely believe that this sermon series has the capacity to indelibly change the rest of your life on earth for however many days God will give you. I believe that if you will pay attention, maybe even take some notes and learn to apply the things I'm gonna teach you over the next few weeks, there are five sermons, including the four of December and Christmas Eve, where we're gonna talk about the things that the Lord wants us to talk about. If you will listen and apply them, it legitimately and in reality will change the course of your life. I believe it has that kind of power. So I'm so excited to be here to share God's word with you. And we're gonna be jumping into this sermon series, The Spirit of Christmas. And when I say spirit, I don't mean like heart of Christmas or attitude of Christmas. I mean the capital S, Holy Spirit of Christmas. Because what you probably don't realize is that the Holy Spirit is one of the main characters in the Christmas story. You've just never stopped and thought about it before. If you read, and we're gonna be in the book of Luke and we're gonna go through that, all five sermons, that's our our starting place, because it details this out, you hear over and over again the Holy Spirit come into the text of the Christmas story. But, but I want you to be honest with yourself. 
How many of you really think about the Holy Spirit as a major, don't, don't raise your hand or not, just how many of you think about the Holy Spirit as a major character of the Christmas story? Because I, I would venture to say not many of you. You think of Jesus, which I hope you do, praise God, he is the main character of the Christmas story. Don't, don't miss that. God in flesh come to be born in Bethlehem. He's the main character. But you also think about Mary and Joseph and you think about angels and shepherds and wise men. You think about all this other stuff, but very few of us actually think about the Holy Spirit. He, he seem, we, we know he's in there somewhere, but he seems like this little incidental character in the background. When what I want to show you over the next five messages is how the Holy Spirit is actually the main architect of the Christmas story. One of the central heroes of the Christmas story. And the reason I want to tell you that is because until you discover the centrality of the Holy Spirit in the Christmas story, you won't discover the centrality of the Holy Spirit in your story. Now, I love stories where there's a character who seems to be kind of minor, but ends up being the hero of the story. Uh, how many of you, I want you to raise your hand for this one. How many of you have seen the movie Home Alone? Raise your hand if you've seen Home Alone. Okay, good. The majority of you, some of you love it. I love it. Uh, if you haven't seen Home Alone, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. I'm going to tell you what happens, but that's your fault, not my fault. Look, you've had enough time to watch Home Alone. So just know if you, if you watch it online, you can turn it off right now. I'm about to spoil the movie. You haven't seen it yet. But the, the movie Home Alone, I think, is a prime example of, of this idea. A minor character who ends up being major. So you know, the main character of Home Alone is Kevin McAllister. He's the, the kid who gets left home. Uh, that shouldn't surprise you since the name of the movie is Home Alone. So I haven't given anything away yet. But there's this, this is character that just shows up in a, a number of different scenes, but doesn't seem to be all that important. His name is Old Man Marley. He's known as the South Bend Shovel Slayer. He's the, the next door neighbor to Kevin. And so he, the first time he shows up, it, the, the, Kevin is looking out the window with some of his, his siblings and cousins, and, and there's Old Man Marley. You never even know his first name. He's out there shoveling snow, and they're telling stories about how he's a murderer, like chopping people up, and South Bend Shovel Slayer, and that's all you see about him. You're kind of scared of old man Marley. And that's it. You don't see him again. Until Kevin McAllister is at the pharmacy and he's trying to buy a toothbrush. And who should show up again? But old man Marley coming to put his hand up on the desk, looking all menacing. And there he shows up again. And just as quickly, he's gone. And then a little bit later on, Kevin McAllister goes to church to pray because he's about to take on Marv and Harry, the, the two robbers trying to get into his house. And who should show up? But old man Marley again. He's there for a little bit and has a conversation with him and then he's, he's done. And you, you see him again and again, kind of creepy, but you don't know much about him until you get to the climax of the movie. Here's a spoiler alert. Go ahead and turn it off if you haven't seen it yet. But this is, this is what happens. He's, Marv and Harry have caught up to poor little Kevin and they're about to get him. They're about to make him pay for the damage that he's done to their bodies. And so Marv gets him and hangs him up on a hook on a door and Harry comes up and grabs one of his fingers, about to bite off one of his fingers and who should show up but old man Marley with his shovel, and pop, down goes Marv, and then pop, down goes Harry. And he takes Kevin, saves the day, hero of the whole movie. I believe that is a perfect depiction of the Holy Spirit's role in the Christmas story. Like over and over again, what you're going to discover is he just keeps popping up in scene after scene after scene after scene. And you barely even recognize he's there because he seems like a background character. But when you look at the entirety of the Christmas story, what you discover, he's actually the main architect making everything happen. He shows up with Zechariah in the temple. He shows up in John the Baptist, the one who's gonna prepare the way. He shows up in Mary when he's the power by which Mary has a child. He shows up with Elizabeth when she prophesies. He shows up later with Zechariah as he prophesies. He shows up with Caesar Augustus as he issues a decree. 
He shows up when Simeon is told to go to the temple to meet the Messiah. Over and over, the Holy Spirit just pops up again and again and again. And he seems like this background character until you put it all together and you realize he's the one driving the whole thing. And I want to teach you to see the Holy Spirit front and center because I want to teach you how to take the Holy Spirit from being peripheral in your life to right smack dab in the middle. And here's the reason why. I believe there are some of you and you are in desperate need for a miracle from God. There's something going on in your life right now. There's a pain that you are shouldering. There's something that overwhelms you. There's an anxiety that grabs you, a depression that is clouding your day. There's a health issue you're struggling with. Somebody isn't here who used to be here and you're about to endure Christmas and you're scared to death of the pain of that moment. There's a hurt in you. There's something that is overwhelming you and you're wanting to know, does God really care? And all the power of God is caught up in the Holy Spirit being in your life. And I wanna teach you how to access the power of the Holy Spirit and ensure he's not peripheral so you can experience the full magnitude of God in your life. That's why I believe this sermon series is so important. So we're gonna start where the Christmas story starts and it does not start in Bethlehem. It starts in the temple in Jerusalem. It starts with a man named Zechariah. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Luke chapter one. And we're gonna jump into the story in just a moment. Luke chapter one, we're gonna start in verse five in a moment to get to be introduced to the two principal beginning characters. But before we get there, there's something you need to know. Uh, at this moment, God is about to show up to the nation of Israel for the first time in over 400 years. God has been almost entirely silent for 400 years. The last word we have from God is the book of Malachi. Most scholars believe written sometime around 430 BC. And so for, for that time, those 400 years, God has not spoken. He hasn't sent any prophets. He hasn't sent any angels. He hasn't done much of anything. And the Jewish people have been overwhelmed. They've had Babylonian exile, then Persian and Medo-Persian empire has controlled them. The Greeks control them. Now the Romans control them. And they've been crying out, God, when are you going to show up? When are you going to speak? And many of them are beginning to grow in despair. But there's this couple that are remaining faithful, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we're about to be introduced to them and about to see when God shows up for the first time in centuries. That's where we start. Verse 5 of Luke chapter 1. Here's what it says. It says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Okay, hit the pause button real quick. I, I want to kind of set up the stage here. So you have Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're advanced in years. They're old. And Elizabeth has not yet had a child yet. Now, most Jewish people... And most anybody in the ancient world believed that if a woman was barren, it was because of some sin she had committed or the couple had committed. It must have been some kind of curse of God. That's why Luke in this goes, he takes great pains to say this was not because of unrighteousness in Zechariah or Elizabeth. It says that they were righteous. They walked blamelessly before God. Had nothing to do with any sin they'd committed. God was about to move. And he was going to show up into their lives. And he wanted to make that very clear. This was God showing his power to those who walk according to his ways. But again, there's been 400 years of silence until we get to verse 8. And the silence is broken as Zechariah gets to meet somebody he'd never met before. Let's keep reading. Verse 8. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. 
And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. Okay, so a little, little detail. Again, this is one of those things that you probably don't know if you haven't really searched into the passage. But this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Zechariah. It says that he went into the temple. Now, the temple had two parts to it. It had the holy place, and then it had the holy of holies. Now, the only person who could ever go inside the holy of holies was the high priest, and he could do it one time a year on the Day of Atonement. And that was it. No one else got to go in. But then right outside of that was the holy place where they burned the incense And every single day, one priest was chosen to go in there. And they were picked by lot because at the time of this writing, when Zechariah was priest, there were estimated about 18,000 priests of all the priesthood. Now, only one priest got to go in every single day. And they were drawn by lot when their division was on duty, which meant that the fact that Zechariah was chosen by lot was a once in a lifetime. It was the only time he would ever have to get to enter into the holy place And he would get to sweep out the burnt incense and he would get to put fresh incense and he would get to pray in the presence of God and worship. So he had gone into the presence, should have been expectant to meet God. But the problem is nobody had met with God. Priests had been going in, one priest every single day and no one had met with God. So he kind of went in half-hearted until all of a sudden after 400 years, God shows up again. The angel Gabriel comes and he's overwhelmed. But the angel Gabriel comes with a message not actually about Zechariah, It's about a son he's going to have, a son named John. And this is where you're going to begin to see that background character I was talking about show up. Let's keep on reading verse 13. It says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. I don't know if you saw it. It was like a flash. But that little minor character just showed up. It says that there's going to be this guy, John. He's going to be great. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. And here you have the entrance in the very beginning of the Christmas story of what appears to be old man Marley, somebody in the background just kind of showing up there for a second and then gone. But it says that John is going to be great because he is going to prepare the way for the Messiah. The one they had been waiting for to liberate them for hundreds and hundreds of years, John was going to be great because he was going to get everything ready so the Messiah could come and save the people of Almighty God. Now here's what you got to understand. When it says that John would be great, that didn't just mean he'd be a pretty good guy. It meant he would have supernatural power. That's what verse 17 was talking about. If you go back to verse 17, it says that he would come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Now listen, there are a lot of stories that you'll read in the Bible and you just skim over them and you go, I don't even know what that means. You just keep on reading. But let me tell you what it means to be in the spirit and power of Elijah. It means supernatural miracle working power. Because that's who Elijah was. Elijah was a character in the Old Testament who did miracle after miracle. He was known as the great miracle worker of the Old Testament. He had this one moment where there were 430 prophets of Baal. And he went head to head with these prophets to see who was the real God, Baal or Yahweh. And they set up this whole scene where they set up altars and Baal had an altar and Yahweh had an altar. And these 430 prophets of Baal, they're doing dances all around, trying to call down fire from heaven. No fire comes. 
Then you got Elijah, and he goes, let's just, let's just make it a little harder. Why don't you pour water all over the offering to see if Yahweh can bring down fire? He prays one time, bam, fire comes, burns up the water, the sacrifice, the altar, everything. And everybody realizes, because of that supernatural fire, who the real God is. Yahweh, I mean, this guy, Elijah, knew Yahweh was a miracle-working God, and he experienced the supernatural power of God. But Elijah, he did a bunch of miracles. He was the guy, when there had been years and years of drought, he prayed seven times, and boom, water comes for the first time in years. He was the guy, when there was a widow who didn't have any food, he prayed, and the flour and the oil just kept on producing more and more bread. Wouldn't, wouldn't run dry. He was even the guy who raised a kid up from the dead. When you talk about Elijah, you're talking about miracle-working power. But here's my question for you. Where did that miraculous power come from? It didn't come from Elijah. It came from the Holy Spirit inside Elijah. Now, you might argue back and you'd say, Jason, I've read my Bible. I don't see anywhere where it says the Holy Spirit was a miracle-working power of Elijah. And I would tell you, you're right. It doesn't actually say that. It doesn't say, and he had power from the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you, you should read the rest of your Old Testament. Because what you discover when you read the Old Testament is over and over and over again, when somebody does miraculous things, when they have supernatural power and strength, it said the Holy Spirit rushed upon. That was a favorite saying of the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit rushed upon a person and he was able to do miraculous feats. I mean, you read about it. If you go to the book of Judges, read that book. You're going to see again and again, the Holy Spirit rushed upon a person, came upon Jephthah when he conquered the Ammonites, came upon other judges. But one of the most famous ones is a guy named Samson. Y'all heard of Samson before? He's a guy who had like super long locks of hair and just supernatural strength. And almost everybody, when you ask him, where did Samson, Samson get his strength? They'll say from his long hair. Because when he, when he cut his hair, he didn't have strength anymore. But, but you'd be dead wrong. The strength didn't come from the hair. The strength came from the Holy Spirit inside of him. The long hair was a sign of his Nazarite vow. And as long as he maintained that vow, he had the Spirit of God inside of him. But it was always the Spirit. How do I know? Because the Scriptures say it. So I'm going to have the scriptures up on the screen, but if you're a Bible drill kind of person, you want to keep up with me, try to keep up. Judges chapter 14, verses five and six. Listen to what it says and listen to the wording that it uses about Samson's power. Judges 14, verse five it says, then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah and they came to the vineyards of Timnah and behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Then, listen carefully, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. Now, i got to be honest with you. I don't know how one tears a young goat. I've never seen that happen before. Apparently, that's a thing. Somebody could tear a young goat. But he tears a lion, a lion coming against him, and he grabs that bad boy, rips him to shreds with his bare hands. Now, that's manly. That's when you go, that's like, that's big time. But notice how he does it. Not because he's strong, but the spirit rushes upon him and then he has supernatural strength. Now, this terminology is spoken over and over again. If you were to go to the same chapter, I'm not going to read it. Verse 19, it says that he comes against some Philistines in Ashkelon and he goes over there and the spirit rushes upon him and he slays 30 Philistines like that. Even greater, if you go to chapter 15, verse 14, it says the spirit rushes upon Samson. He grabs a stinking donkey jawbone and kills a thousand men with a jawbone. Why? Because the spirit of God rushed upon him. Every time he does something supernatural, it's because the spirit has empowered him to do it. It's the spirit that brings supernatural strength. And it's not just the judges. You could go over and you could get, I'm not going to read all these because again, it takes so long. But if you were to go to 1 Samuel chapter 10, you'd read about King Saul, the first king of Israel. 
And he's not a prophet. He's not a priest. He's just walking along. And it says the spirit rushed upon him and he began to prophesy with the sons of the prophets, speaking things he knew not of because the spirit rushed upon him and and supernaturally enabled him to do so. But probably one of the most impressive moments is King David. I I know the majority of you have heard. You've heard of King David. He's just well-known king. He was the best and greatest king of Israel. He was an incredible military leader. He was the one who brought unity to the 12 tribes. He formed the nation of Israel, a godly man who just seemed to have wisdom oozing out of him. But the scriptures tell us his secret sauce. They revealed to us how he was able to do it. In fact, if you were to go to 1 Kings chapter 16, this one subtle little verse that so many of you miss in verse 13 tells us why David was who David was. It says, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. You want to know why David was an amazing king? Because the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and stayed upon him and empowered him to do what no human being could do otherwise. Listen, the Holy Spirit is who brings power to your life that allows you to do things that you could never do on your own. And you're going, okay, Jason, that's cool for like kings and prophets and judges, but I'm just an ordinary person. What does that mean for me? So I saved the last one because it is so good. It's in Exodus chapter 31, where the spirit of the Lord rushes upon a person so he can be a phenomenal construction worker. I love this passage of scripture. Exodus 31 verses one through three. Listen to what it says. It says, the Lord said to Moses, see, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. And then it goes on to say that he skillfully and beautifully created all the things in the tabernacle so that the presence of God could dwell among them. There's nothing that seems supernatural about being a skilled craftsman, but the Bible's telling us that he was able to be that he was empowered to make beauty that no human being can make because the spirit of God rushed upon him. Let me tell you what that means. If you're a school teacher, you could be the most amazing school teacher when the spirit of God is upon you. If you're an accountant or an architect or a construction worker or a stay-at-home mom or dad, if you just, whatever job you do, when the spirit of God is upon you, you can be supernaturally empowered to do that in ways that makes the others around you wowed. How, how can you do that? Because the spirit of God is in me. I guarantee you, you want to live the kind of life that is empowered by the Holy Spirit of Almighty God, no matter what stage you're in. To empower you to be an amazing husband or wife, parent, grandparent, child, student, whatever it may be, the spirit empowers you to be everything you could possibly be and more. Because the spirit of God is what brings supernatural into what's just natural otherwise. This is why the Holy Spirit should not play a peripheral side of your life. It is so easy to make the Holy Spirit a sideline character. And you focus all your attention on Jesus. Praise God, he's God. On the Father as you pray to him. And oh yeah, yeah, there's that spirit somewhere over here. But he's like old man Marley. He's just off on the side somewhere. I don't think much about him. And the reason I want you to learn this sermon series and to learn this story is because when he is not front and center, you're missing so much. God has so much more to show you. And so I want to teach you how to have the front and center role of the spirit of God so you have supernatural power. So the question you should be asking yourself right now is, what does it look like? 
How do I take the spirit from the sidelines? How do I make him front and center? I want him to be one of the main characters. I want to have that kind of power you're talking about, Jason. What do I do? Well, before I tell you what to do, and I will tell you that, let me tell you what not to do. Let me tell you the greatest mistake people make. They think they can get more of the Holy Spirit by trying to be a better person. Listen, I, I, I think it's just natural. We think we got to earn it. Okay, if I want more of the Holy Spirit, then I, I better go to church three out of four Sundays a week instead of two out of four Sundays a week. And if I miss, I better be watching online, you know, because I got to be a good Christian to make sure that I get more of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I better serve somewhere. I better read my Bible in the morning. I, I better do better. Maybe I should join a D group so I could be a better Christian and earn more of the Spirit of God. Maybe when that offering time comes, I better give some money and, and that way I can earn more of the Spirit of God. Let me go ahead and tell you, you cannot earn more of the Spirit of God. And I guarantee you, you cannot purchase more of the Spirit of God. If you want to know how that goes, go read Acts chapter 8 about a guy named Simon the Magician who tried to purchase the Spirit's power. Let me go ahead and tell you, it didn't go well for him. You, you can't purchase his power. You can't earn his power. You want to know how I know that? The Christmas story. Go back to, first, to Luke chapter 1. Go, go back to verse 15. Because it says, John will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. That, that tells me a couple things. First thing it tells me is that that child inside of Elizabeth's womb was a real human being. Because if a child can have the Holy Spirit, even when inside they're a womb, they are a human being. They're, they don't become a human when they leave the womb. They are a human being in the womb. If they can have the Holy Spirit, you know that to be true. But let me, let me tell you what else that, that teaches us. It teaches us that John did not earn the Holy Spirit's presence in his life. John didn't do any good works. John didn't pay any money. John didn't volunteer in the children's ministry. John didn't read his Bible. He's in his mother's womb and the Spirit comes upon him. What this means is the Spirit comes upon whoever he's going to come upon. We can't control him. All we can do is open up our arms and receive him when he comes. But that right there is the problem. You see, there are so many of us, and the Holy Spirit wants to come upon us, but he can't because he is holy and we are unholy. So here's the truth about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, being holy, can never come into an unholy vessel. Otherwise, he would be defiled. And so as much as he may long to come upon you and me, he won't be able to do it in our natural state. Where God says every single human being in this world has sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one. We are we're filthy on the inside of our own doing. But the good news of the gospel is that the whole reason the Holy Spirit came was to prepare the way so the Messiah could come. And he knew this Messiah would do what you and I couldn't do. He would actually obey his daddy. He would do everything the father told him to do all the way to the point where he went to, to the cross to obey his father. He would live in complete obedience and earn righteousness. And then this Messiah, he knew, would go to the cross and he would hang there on that cross. And he would say, I'll take all the wrath of humanity upon me, all their sin and shame and guilt, put it on my shoulders. And he would pay that penalty and he would go into the grave. And three days later, he would rise up from the dead, showing he had victory over death over sin, and then earn the right to offer his righteousness to us. And therefore, anyone who would believe in Jesus Christ would have every single sin they've ever committed, they are presently committing, they will ever commit again, washed away, gone. 
At the end of every service, we take the Lord's Supper as a reminder of that. When we drink the cup, we remember sins are gone, washed away. We're a clean vessel, and therefore we can have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And so the first thing you have to do before anything else I say even matters is make sure you have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because nothing else I say even matters. You could take copious notes. You could listen to every single sermon, do everything I tell you to do, and not have the Spirit's power inside of you until the vessel's clean. I'm going to tell you what to do at the end of the service if you need to take that step of faith. But what you got to do right now is start to muster up courage. Because I guarantee you, when I call you forward, you're going to be scared to death to come. Every excuse in your mind is going to pop into your brain of why you shouldn't come. And yet the most important thing you need to do is to come down front and say, I need that. I need this vessel to be clean because I need the Spirit's power in my life. So you just get courage. I'm going to tell you in a moment what to do. Before I get there, though, I, I know there are many of you in here. I've got to baptize a number of you. I, many of you have been believers for a long time. I, I got another news flash for you. You can be a believer in Jesus Christ and actually be sealed with the Holy Spirit and still not receive the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And the reason why is because the Holy Spirit can play a peripheral role in your everyday life. He can be sidelined by you. The scriptures say that you have the power to quench the Spirit. You have the power to grieve the Spirit. You have the power to resist the Spirit inside of you. Now, if you're a believer, you have the Spirit. It says you are sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of Christ Jesus. But that doesn't mean you're experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you're a believer and you're not experiencing miraculous power, the question you should be asking is, why am I not? How do I take him from the sidelines and how do I seat him front and center in my life so I can experience his power? This whole sermon series is designed to tell you how to do that, but I'm going to give you the key right now. The key is you give him control. That's how you experience his power. You stop trying to control your own life, and many of us in this room struggle with that, and we say, Spirit of God, take control. In fact, that nugget was in this story. You just might have missed it. It's quick. It was back in verse 15 again. It says, John, he's going to be great before the Lord. And then it says, he must not be filled with drink. He must not drink wine or strong drink, but he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Now, there's a couple times in the scriptures where it makes this reference like, don't be filled with wine or alcohol, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's juxtaposing two things. What it's coming down to is the issue of control. Every time the scripture mentions, don't be filled with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, it's talking about being under the influence of something. I, I taught about this in a sermon series last year about the Holy Spirit. So alcohol is a controlling agent. And when you drink too much alcohol, you come under its influence. That's what a DUI is all about. It means driving under the influence of alcohol. It means alcohol can impair you. It can control you. You are under its influence if you have too much of it in your body. And what he's saying is, John must not be controlled by any substance or any person except for the Spirit of God. He must be filled to the brim, affected by, under the influence of, controlled by the Spirit of God. And that's when great things are going to happen. The whole issue was... Was the Spirit of God going to have control? Let me tell you about the Spirit. The Spirit will not force His way into your life. He offers Himself and He comes, but He will wait until you give Him control. Every single one of these sermons is going to be defined, is going to be detailed to show you how to give Him more and more control of your life. But it begins with you right here, right now, saying, Spirit of God, I give you control. We're going to sing a song in a moment. And that song says, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come, 
come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. It's not talking about just this room that we're in. He's talking about this place. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place. Fill, fill this atmosphere because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit if we're believers in Jesus Christ. And you are inviting the Spirit of God through this song to do so. And, and here's what I believe. I believe there are some of you in this room and I mentioned it already. I'm going to say it again. You need a miracle. You need the power of God. I mean, Christmas time is the time we talk about miracles. But we look in all the wrong places. We look to Hallmark movies. We'll just believe a little bit more. But this ambiguous belief, no, no, it's inviting the Spirit. Believing in the Spirit can bring about a genuine, God-centered miracle in your life. And if you need the miraculous power of God, it begins by you inviting the Spirit into your heart and mind. So in a moment, the band will make their way out here and we're going to sing that song. And you might need to do it as an invitation to the Spirit. You, you, I, don't, I don't want to sing anything mindlessly ever, but especially this. When you sing those words, I want you to let it be an invitation to say, Spirit of God, I, I want you inside me. I'm, I'm offering you prime real estate in my life. Come take over. You may need to bow down right where you are. You may need to come to the steps and bow down and say, Spirit, I'm sorry, I... I've kept you in the sidelines my whole life and I recognize I've never experienced your power and I should be. Forgive me. Come be sinner in my life. I'm going to invite you to do so in a moment, but let me say this. There are some of you right now and you have a specific area that has you overwhelmed. There's a circumstance where you're going, I, I need God's power in this specific area. You can invite the spirit into that area. And the number one way you do that is through prayer. The Holy Spirit is spirit. And the way we commune with the spirit is through our spirit. And that's through prayer. Prayer is the means by which we engage the Holy Spirit. And so I want to invite you to engage the Holy Spirit through prayer in that particular area of need. If you are here this morning and you're hurting, or even if you're watching online, you got Zer online and he'll pray with you. But wherever you are, you need to engage the spirit through prayer and say, I'm, I want you in this area. I'm hurting right now, God. I'm overwhelmed right now, God. I need a miracle right now, God. Let your spirit show his power in this area of my life. It's a faith step. It's a faith step online to, to text that or to chat on there that you need someone to pray for you. I want you to take that step of faith. It's a faith step in this room. There are going to be prayer uh, leaders, the prayer team and staff around the room, they're going to be standing ready to pray for you. And it's going to require faith for you to slip out and to go up to one of them and say, pray for me, or to come bow down on your knees and pray over that issue and invite the spirit of God into that area so you can see the miracles of God. It's going to take faith because you might be afraid that I'll go do this whole thing and nothing's going to change. But I can guarantee you nothing's going to change if you sit back passively. But if you take your faith and say, Spirit, I believe you can change things. You can address the Spirit of God and invite him into a circumstance in your life to see his power. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to do so. But before I do that, I'm going to come back to those of you I was talking about earlier. Those of you who will never see the power of God until the vessel's clean. This morning is a time I believe you may need to say, Jesus Christ, forgive me of my sins. Come into me. Clean me and take over. I want to give you control. I, I believe today may be the day that some of you need to come down and talk to one of the prayer team members or pastors 
and say, I'm ready. You, you see this baptistry on stage with me if you're in the room? You know this is up here every single week. God has been moving. People are coming to faith in Christ and I believe he's not done because there are some of you in this room and you need a miracle in your life and you have been wondering why life has been so stinking hard. Why do you keep falling? Why do you keep failing? Why do you keep going back to that addiction? Why won't things be solved? Why, God, are you not changing things? Let me tell you why. Because you are being thick-headed and he can't break through so he has to take you through another journey and another journey and another journey until you finally say, I raise my white flag, God, I give up. Now I see you're trying to get my attention. And if you're the only means, God, for this solution to come, then I choose you. I trust you. But there comes a moment you have to give up your own efforts and say, Jesus, I believe you're the only one who can heal me. And I believe that when you put your spirit inside me, Jesus, that's the only time things are going to change. I want you to know we have t-shirts that say Jesus in my place to communicate that very message. He's the only power that can heal you. And we'll counsel with you and you can be baptized before you leave today. And what happens, you go underwater and you come out and you externally are washed clean and it's a sign of an internal reality that the blood of Christ washes you clean, fits you so that the spirit of God can dwell inside of you. And in a moment, you may need to come down and say, I'm ready, I need it. I'm so tired, I'm so broken, I'm at the end of myself. If Jesus is the solution and his spirit inside me is the answer, then I'm ready. But let me go ahead and tell you the number one thing that's going to come in your mind, and I know this for a fact, is a lie that Satan will begin to implant in your mind. And here's the lie. The lie is, I just, I got to fix some things in my life first. Now, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to come down the way I am, you know, not change. So let me, let me get a few things fixed in my life first, and then I'll come to Jesus. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You don't fix yourself before you come to Jesus. You come to Jesus so he can fix you. You think you got to get a little more order in your life before you come to Jesus. No, you come to Jesus and he orders your life. And Satan wants to keep you back thinking you got to do something. You got to get some things right. No, no. Jesus is who makes you right. But it's going to require you to come in faith and say, Jesus, I believe you're the only one. And I'm ready for you to heal me. So if you're ready for that, today can be your day of salvation you have a chance to respond. I'm going to invite everybody to stand up. And I want the staff and I want the prayer team to make their way forward, come down to the front. And I want to remind you, if, if all you're going to do is sing the song Holy Spirit and invite him into the front and center role of your life, then that's, that's what you do. Do it by faith. If you have a need in your life where you want to see the miraculous power of the Spirit of God, then you engage him through prayer. You want to come bow down and pray on your own, that's fine. You want to come to one of us prayer team members and staff, let us pray for you. We're going to invite the Spirit into your situation. Come, be prayed over, take that step of faith. But most importantly, if you want to be cleansed of all your sins so the Spirit of God can dwell in you, so you can begin to experience the supernatural in your life and see what Jesus can do when he takes over. And you come let us know, because today can be your day of salvation. However you need to respond, you respond. Now's the time.